Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The second captain's world service. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Wout Veghorst played 37 times in the Premier League, scoring two goals for Burnley and none at all for Manchester United. It's taken him just one and a half matches to reach the same total against the Republic of Ireland. I'm afraid we are at that stage of proceedings now where we're making everyone look like world beaters. <laughs> Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, guys. Wow. Vague horse as well. Just running through. Well, this was a guy whose only discernible strength at Manchester United was simply being a striker and therefore allowing Marcus Rashford to play in a different position. He was like Keith from The Office. Under strengths, you've just put accounts. Yeah. <laughs> That's your job, though. That's just that's just mm. no, Keith. I was sort of looking for your skills within your job. So, is there anything else you could have put there? No. Okay. Um, under weaknesses, you've put eczema. Without <laughs> <laughs> under strengths, you've put being a striker. Yeah. I was yeah, looking yeah. for skills within your job. <laughs> well, I allow Marcus Rashford to play in a position because for some reason that I've never fully worked out, Rashford just can't play as a central striker. Hey, anyway, Rashford scored a lot of goals, you know. Mm. Big course, uh, take, you know, taking up the attention of defenders. But how Again, many times in his career? Yeah. How many times in his career has that has he been in that position? Like vague horse catapulted through the defense. Yeah, it's one on one, you know. Ground control to Major Tom, like what? Like it's just such an unfamiliar situation for him. Which was my only reason for hope as I stared sadly down at this situation because mm. I saw that the guys would run into each other, Manning and Collins, and you know, it's like maybe he's he can't be. He must be getting a nosebleed here, and then mm. poof, obviously unbelievable nails it. Nails it. It was just the court. certainty with which he ignored his better placed colleagues yeah. to mm. say I'm going to slam it past this guy and don't forget the yeah. goal he scored in the open the first game he came off the bench at half time as part of that substitution it was a mm. double triple substitution that swung the game for Listen, the Netherlands Owen, uh, we can't really handle, nice finish. we, we can't can't handle, handle by no, we just have no answer to the man he's, he's one of set. Yeah, he's our kryptonite along with uh, lots of other other international, international teams and teams are kryptonite yeah. we won't inflict any more Ireland analysis on you today that is strictly necessary we're going to leave Richie for example to focus on his episode series which has been outstanding so far may I add next episode coming out this Wednesday available wherever you get your podcasts we will be covering Everton's 10 point deduction later in the podcast with John Blaine who works with Toffee TV he's an Everton fan Murph. oh okay <laughs> <great>. <laughs> but we will obviously talk about Ireland in Ken's report on sport hello and I haven't actually spoken to you about the game yet because we've been busy with other things what did you think of it well, it was a uh, one nil hammering as Darren Malone. Sorry, did that sound like an AI generated? <laughs> it sounded what a did bit you like think a, of this but, game? But it also sounded like uh, Owen just pri- primed you there to talk about Ireland Holland, and you just turned around and said, "Owen, what do you make yeah. of Ireland?" I mean, I've just given you my only coherent thought. Yeah, which Van Veghorst. Yeah. Fuck me. Why do? How, how come we can't stop uh, Van Veghorst from scoring? You see, you were at the game. Well, I'm interested to ask you, Ken. I'm going to turn this back on you. Yeah, good. Okay. Make, good. Make you yeah, work for your yeah, yeah. work for your living. 
um, what was the atmosphere like? Because it was really weird in that to- Tony Dunne, who starts doing the uh, does pre match stuff, gives the team news and says it's going to be a party atmosphere here. They've got mm. all this stuff planned after the match for if they if mm. they beat us, if and when they beat us. Then at the start of commentary, Dara Maloney and Ronnie Whelan, in fact, right throughout commentary, kept turning to each other and saying, "I'm not sure what's happened to the atmosphere here. It was it was banging before kickoff, <laughs> and now it's just gone." And well. It was it was kind of a strange thing. I'm watching, and going, "Oh, is this just what we do to other fans now? They watch <laughs> their team beat us, yeah, but, and but they, take, any but they take no joy in it. And then we actually take the joy out of the occasion for them. Well, it was a bit of a yawn, yeah. You know, by by the second half because it was clear that that they kind of had the game where they wanted it. Didn't really look like we were going to be capable of scoring. Um, they were missing chances because they, they were kind of trying to walk it in a bit. I, I, I felt they, they almost got a bit bored with the game. You know, I mean, I mean the team. Oh, really? Uh, so, no, so the fans, I mean, the Dutch team, so obviously the fans are, were kind of probably a few steps ahead of that. I mean, they were doing a Mexican wave just, was it, I can't remember if it was just before or just after the goal, but the goal was 12 minutes. So, wow. That, is that not like a world record or something? It was pretty early for a Mexican wave. I think it was just after, and I thought, oh, no. All right, we're already doing that. The the Ireland section wasn't totally full, but actually was there was quite a few empties in it at kickoff, and I, I was kind of like, oh, it's, it's sort of surprising because Ireland away to Holland is a big game for Ireland. But it's also a great, it's, it's also it's a great a good, city to visit. Exactly, yeah. So I was kind of expecting it to be totally packed, but I think there was some problems again with fans being able to get into the, on the way in and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and and so it did it did fill up to mostly capacity uh, by the end. Uh, you couldn't really hear the Ireland fans for a lot of the game, to be honest. Well, I mean, I was they were they were over the far corner of the stadium for me, so maybe they were making more noise in that corner. But yeah, I mean, it just wasn't really. Uh, it wasn't a game with a lot in the balance. It was kind of clear that Holland were going to go to the Euros, even if we had managed to equalise. Uh, they still all only need to beat Gibraltar, who were in the process of losing fourteen nil. As a tough day out for Gibraltar. I saw some. There was some video of Deschamps in the halftime going, "Let's go for the record, guys." Already, oh, yeah, yeah. The European record, which yeah, they let's achieved. These guys. Well, he said the record was ten. I thought it was thirteen. Germany against San Marino, but maybe that was World Cup qualifiers. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. But anyway, fourteen. Apparently, he's a record. So it was a, it was a, it was a tough one. I hope for that the, sated Didier's yeah. bloodlust. Anyway, yeah, and he was like, "Don't you know? Don't let up, guys." It was only it was seven nil at halftime, so they repeated the performance. It was yeah. a, it was an unfortunate move by Gibraltar to get a man sent off after a couple of minutes. The same man who scored an own goal before that. Mm. The office for him. Not a great, uh, not a great start uh, for them. But anyway, so what was going on in the game? You know, we just weren't really out. I mean, I saw Stephen Kenny's interview afterwards. Where he said, you know, quite quite a, a typically optimistic portrayal of it. Even even in his optimistic portrayal, he kind of accepted they'd had a lot of chances. I mean, uh, Bazunu played played really well. Yeah, there, there's a plus point. Bazunu played really well. Um, I thought Liam Scales was quite good. You mm-hmm. know? I thought Ryan Manning was quite good. I mean, Manning was the most involved player in the game. Somehow, we saw more of Ryan Manning. I mean, at one point, I was looking at it, and Manning had had forty-five touches, and Evan Ferguson had, had six. Oh, Evan mm. Ferguson, that was it's, it's a tough watch at the moment. Well, he he was the least involved player in yeah, the game. It felt like that. It barely felt like he was on the pitch. I'm not blaming him. It's this is you know it's, we're maybe not in a position to get the best use out of Evan Ferguson's talents at the moment, and then he goes off injured as well. Which yeah, well, I, I don't know. Was he? Injured or was it a case of ah? He didn't look great going off. He looked like he mm. was. He looked like he, he wasn't moving too, too well. To be honest, yeah. So so um, obviously that wasn't um, that wasn't great. Uh, you know, Kenny had sort of said there was nothing in the game in Dublin. Mm, not my recollection of the game in Dublin, to be honest. I mean, in the game in Dublin, we had a great start, and then they kind of ended up controlling the game in the second half and we didn't really respond to it at all yeah. um, this time he he kind of accepted they were you know uh, again our goalkeeper had to have a good night out there um, but you know it was uh, your breakdown of the goal was interesting in your Irish Times column today Ken I must say yeah. aside from Fekor's finish more just what led up to that Well, and the the smartness that the Dutch went about their business with bear in mind a very understrength Holland team yeah they were they were, and maybe De Vrij wouldn't have been playing so Stephen De Vrij you know he's been sitting on the bench a lot for them um, like he he played in the World Cup in 2014 and he played nearly I think he played nearly the whole World Cup I remember they got to the semi-final that year 
uh, and he only would have been 21 or 22. So, like, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good player. Um, but he had kind of fallen out of the picture a little bit, has had a few injuries, has been kept out of the team by other players. Um, and he, I thought he was the best player on the pitch uh, in this game, where certainly his, his, he was incredibly influential for Holland in an attacking sense as the defender. Yeah. You know, Stephen Kenny was talking about like creativity. We lacked that creativity in the final third. The interesting thing was how much of Holland's creativity was in their own third and coming from De Vrij. So the way that the, they scored the goal, I thought was really interesting because I remember reading an interview with this guy uh, in the correspondent of Dutch um, website by Michiel de Hoog, uh, who, who interviewed him the uh, 2020 maybe. Yeah. And uh, so basically he was like, starts off like, oh, you know, it's it's 9.58 and uh, Stephen de Vrij's phone goes off. It's time for his tactics class. And he's talking to some like Young, a, a guy in his 20s, like a kind of a tactics coach who he does like sessions with in his like uh, spare time, you know, because he's one of these marginal gains type guys. You know, he's a, he's a, I, I, I am not Virgil van Dijk. I am not like, you know, faster than everybody. Stronger than everybody. Uh, I actually need to try and work quite hard to improve. Um, so he would sit with this guy who would, who would like um, go through footage of his games like explaining, okay, look at this situation. What do you think? What do you th what do you think when I show you this image? You know, and he's like, oh, I'm just looking at the ball. You know, or like he's he's kind of realizing, oh, we've 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 all come over too far to the left here, or oh, there's a gap that's too big that's opened up here. You know, stuff that even that he's played the games and didn't realize was happening at the time, but what is rewatching to try and figure out what he's done wrong, and talking about the kind of huge impact that small movements of two or three meters will have on on everything that happens in the field so this you know I, I remember that anyway but I remembered it immediately when I saw what he did to Jason Knight for this goal because it was really expertly done um, just in terms of so it started with Van Dijk had the ball gave it to De Vrij who's the right of the three center backs De Vrij who you can see looking before he gets the ball immediately turns and plays it to Xavi Simmons who's on the right side at the right touchline. So at this point, uh, he knows Jason Knight is coming towards him. Knight, Knight kind of then bends his run a little bit towards Simmons. Simmons is also being uh, closed down by Liam Scales, who's kind of pressed forward on him. Um, and while they're kind of looking at Simmons, De Vrij moves back. He kind of yeah. moves, drops back towards the right back area. He, he, diagonal backwards movement. Simmons gives him the ball back. And Knight then goes for De Vrij again because that's his man to pick up and he's kind of chasing him down and De Vrij essentially is making Knight think and Knight also wants to prevent De Vrij from passing the ball easily to Van Dijk which is you know just pass it back to the guy in the middle um, but just as uh, the ball and Knight are both getting to him he goes the other way he just takes a little touch with the outside of his foot wrong foot's Knight Knight is out of the game he is now running into the midfield there's nobody so Holland are now out and you can see the effect that it has on Josh Cullen. Cullen is in midfield picking up, I think, of Scoutens. I mean, there was a couple of the Dutch players. I was like, <laughs> are these made of men? <laughs> there was like a guy called Quidditch something. Uh, Quidditch, uh, yeah. Look, they were, they were men hewn from the the finest traditions of Dutch football and they, mm. you know, I, I don't mean, I mean, reclaimed from the soil of the, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, Cullen, uh, he can't go forward because De Vrij, what De Vrij has done, he know, De Vrij, the emphasis here is that De Vrij knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. That's the difference, right? That's the difference between players like this and our players, yeah. frankly, who kind of are often making it up on, on the hoof. He knows Knight's going to come, but if I come back, he has to come further. And that means that when I go past him, because he's going to think I'm going this way and I'm going to go there then Cullen is not close enough to come and get me. Mm. He's too far away now, and but he can't do anything. He, what's he going to do? All he can really do at this point is like abandon his position and run back in a, in a panic, lemming-like retreat, you know? We're <laughs> all lemmings. Maybe one of the, us will get our lemming bodies in the way of the shot that you're inevitably going to have, even though this is all happening 70 yards from our goal. So this is why I'm saying the creativity can be really at the, far, at the back end of the pitch, 
now. It's something we're seeing more and more. So Cullen doesn't really have a chance in that scenario. Cullen has no chance. Because Cullen. Knight sold himself. Well, no, Knight, 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 maybe didn't, Knight didn't sell himself. Knight yeah. did what he was supposed to yeah. do. It's just that DeVry De kind of understood what he was doing and kind of had laid a trap for him. And then you've got this massive gap where he can just play. You've got a gap. For, Cullen doesn't know. Cullen doesn't know whether to go forward. It's too. If he runs forward, he's not going to get there. Devry can go past him. So if he runs back, then what's the point of that? Devry's just going to keep coming. He actually just stands there, and then Devry comes forward a little bit, passes the ball beyond him. Then you get this second uh, situation where Dumfries kind of run across the ball to dummy it. Maybe this is why Collins kind of lurches in. You can see that. Um, Vaycourse also has grabs He's Collins' shirt, bit of a shirt pull, yeah. but I don't really think the shirt pull is is that important. I mean, obviously they would have seen it on the VAR, and they they decided it wasn't a foul. Uh, I mean, a shirt pull is a foul, so technically I suppose that should be a foul. Mm. But it wasn't. I didn't feel as though that hand on the shirt was what enabled him to kind of flip Collins the wrong way. I think Collins just rushed in the wrong side. You know, it was it was a mistake by him. Then Manning running back, he's kind of also following his guy Dumfries's run, runs straight into Collins, and then you're like, oh, and that's how we get vague horse, like um, running through free as a bird, you know. Yeah. Which, uh, but like, I mean, that the, obviously the, I concentrated on that moment because it, it was it was the key moment in the match. But there was there was a lot of moments like that. No, but it's also it came out of the ma- of the match. But are you saying there is something to learn there from the Irish point of view that actually we. It's not just a case of tactical or technical. It's a case of just being outfoxed yeah. many times. Like we, we just well, when, maybe when we, we need think to back, think a bit more about what about what we do. We we have we we've looked fairly innocent at times. You know, if you look through the group, we've just this, we've consistently been getting done in these key moments by players who are more experienced than us, cleverer than us, better than us. You know, um, I mean, Devry is, is thirty-one now. You know, you can't compare him to someone like Nathan Collins. You know, he's obviously massively more experienced. But, like, he's worked hard to get to this sort of level that he's at. Um, there was a, there was another couple of moments from him. I mean, he took the ball off Knight, another, you know, where Knight turned and Devry's already there. You're like, he knows what you're going to do. He already knows what he knows what you're going to do before you do. Yeah. Uh, he played another nice ball over the top of the defense. He really was running the show, I thought, particularly in the first half. And this is the right center back. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just about like as as Kenny said the 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 final third. But I mean, when you when you look at it, like we had another halftime substitution. You know, Robinson was off. Ida um, came on. The last game was we had a halftime substitution. The Collins was off. Manning was on at halftime. That was when we lost to Greece two nil. But we did beat Gibraltar after that. But yeah, the last meaningful. Oh game. yeah. Well, uh, in the Holland game, it was actually Holland made two. It was a two halftime subs, and we didn't sort of respond. So we kind of got, you know, uh, I'm not saying doing a halftime substitution is necessarily bad, but it's it's good if it improves the team, mm. or if it's if it seems like it's done to change the direction of the game rather than to address a mistake that you made from the beginning. Uh, in the Greece two one game away, Ida was off at halftime. Johnston came on. The Gibraltar, you mentioned Gibraltar, Gibraltar, we had Collins taken off at halftime and Johnston came on. That was the home game against Gibraltar. Again, that was a mistake where, where we'd started with a five-man defense against Gibraltar, you know, which was maybe we should have seen from the start that wasn't going to be the way to play against it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's a pattern of, I think, sort of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess, I guess management's mistakes. But when you look at the, the, what's, ha- what's been happening on the field, you know, uh, how how Pavard read Josh Cullen's pass, you know, for the goal that France scored against us in Dublin. He knew Cullen was going to do that. You know, Cullen um, Cullen plays it across the defence. Pavard uh, gets in at it and scores. You know, we had um, the Greece goal, the two one, uh, the, the, rather the two nil goal in Dublin. When Ireland, first of all, are all they're they're all up the field. They're all appealing for a handball quickly. Mantalos, their their uh, midfielder plays a, a ball Collins is then playing offside in, in the Greece half which isn't going to work but like again Greece just thinking quickly acting quickly so under pressure so they, they know these things based on studying what we do or they, are you saying their footballers know these things because they're yeah, smarter I, in how to think about the game I think they have we've, we've just we've just been found out consistently you know by 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 um by better players, I mean, they, or, or you know, by more, by more experience, by the way the way our defense. I mean, we were talking about Devry and the distances between defense. The two-one goal in Greece. Remember, we got back into that game. 
the, the away game in Athens which started mm. so badly like they got seven corners in the first ten minutes of that game that was yeah. like a, <laughs> was like what is happening here but we got back in it was one all at half time and then they scored immediately after half time our half time substitute Michael Johnson got nutmegged but the problem was that our defence had separated completely there was just a, a big gap down the middle of it, more or less. There was some guys in the box, some guys over in the wing. Three centre halves, and none of them to the left of our left goalpost. Yeah, and in between this this big space that they just played it into and scored. You know, so this is like, you know, this is why we've lost six games out of six against the against the best sides. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is the, is that down to how this current team is being managed, or is it much deeper rooted than that? Well, it is. I mean, it is partly to do with how the team is being managed. Yeah, because. Ultimately, when you look at it, we're giving away a lot of goals um, because of the way that we're playing in terms of, say, the Cullen one is a good example. Cullen, uh, uh, sorry, the, this is France France scoring against us in Dublin. Yeah. Cullen plays a sideways pass basically in the edge of his own area, which is cut out, and they score a great goal. But, I mean, it's a great, it's a great finish, but that's the type of pass that, let's say, Martin O'Neill or Giovanni Trapattoni would have discouraged strongly, right? They Their teams would not have conceded that type of goal. Mm. And if they had, Cullen would have been substitu- substituted immediately. You know what I mean? There's a pretty funny scene. I'm reading the Liam Brady book at the moment for the purposes of our our upcoming uh, book, Christmas book chat. Mm. And there's a scene after Ireland conceded that late goal against Italy at home. Do you remember the home goal? The guy at Croke Park, the mm. qualifier in Croke Park. I think it was Kevin Kilban had thrown a ball either too quickly or had, had gone for something slightly more adventurous in his throw. I think he'd just taken a quick throw, something like that, yeah. and we can see the possession. And Trap just goes ballistic at Brady because Brady's like his represent. Uh, he's yeah, like, yeah. you fucking Irish, you're you're insane. You fuck. <laughs> and he's just roaring abuse into the half Italian, half English. So, yes, you were right. Uh, he, would, he would definitely have just discouraged that Josh Cullen pass and Liam Brady would have got it in the neck afterwards. Yeah, big time. So so, so that's, I mean, this, the, the, the vague horse goal the other night, there, there's another example. I mean, why does that happen? It happens because we're pressing high, right? That's, a, that's our approach to the game. Knights going chasing... Stefan de Vrij down in the in the right back zone for Holland. Uh, Collins tries to make a challenge on the halfway line. We're pressing high, and they uh, and they get through it and score a goal. Where Wout Weghorst of all people in the world of football is running forty yards to, unaccompanied to score. You know, mm-hmm. so that so that is the goal that that comes from the approach. There, there's both individual mistakes or individual piece of quality from opposing players but it does have to do with the approach and then when you look at the other side of it I mean why do we do this we do this because we think that this will help us to attack better you know what I mean Uh, this is how you win this is how you defend from the front and this is how you attack from the front in uh, in modern football but we're not getting anything out of it yeah. we have not managed to do anything like if you look at our six matches and I, I keep dis- disregarding Gibraltar because they did lose 14-0 to France they're not, they're not obviously not mm. a serious team right so ever just disregard those games in the six games again we've lost all six that's a record right we've never lost six games in a qualifying series before uh, going back to you know mm. as long as we've antiquity had, we haven't always played six as many as six matches in the qualifying series but we've never lost as many as six matches before it's our worst performance in qualifiers since 1962 so that's 31 qualifying tournaments for the World Cup and the Euros we have never just had a 100% whitewash record against the team yeah. the other series did we score any goals from open play in any of those games we scored a penalty yeah. against the Netherlands which Itself came from it was remember Van Dijk handled the ball which came from a corner. It was a it was a corner kick. Um, maybe did we win the corner from some high pressing play? Maybe I mean I thought actually the first sort of half hour against Holland is probably the best we've played in the group. Um, we were actually good at that point. You know that that was good. Yeah. Um, but but again the goal came from a penalty which itself came from a corner rather than from another type of play into the box. And then the other goal we scored... Collins' goal. Collins' goal from a corner. Um, you know, a, a corner, a flick on by Ferguson and Collins at the back post scores a goal. Yeah. They're the two goals we've scored in six matches. So when you look at the kind of cost-benefit analysis, this isn't working for us, right? It certainly has not worked for us in the group. Now, does that mean get rid of it, you know, and try something else? Well, I mean... Maybe. Maybe it does. I mean, you'd have to sort of weigh this carefully. The fact is that we're playing against some 
We got we did get a tough group. Right? It has to be admitted. You look at some of those groups, you're thinking, eh, you know, could it have been different? I also hold my group? hand up. I remember when the group was announced, and I was I was putting a positive spin on it by suggesting that actually this might be good news for Stephen Kenny because we generally do pretty well against better teams. Up to that point, we'd had some respectable results. You know, mm. we've been, we've been close in games, and secondly he was going to get a certain amount of leeway against France and the Netherlands. Yeah. So it would have come down to Greece. And if you do well in those games, actually, even without necessarily qualifying or coming in the top two, that I, I thought we could be in a scenario now where we're still having the same debate that was being had pretty much mm. the entirety of the Stephen Kenny reign where, well, not amazing results, but tough group, you know, yeah. as opposed Greece to it just... The end. Yeah, unfortunately, the end. yeah, we, we, we got wiped. Yeah, uh, we did. We 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 got wiped and, and, yeah, and wiped as as we've never been wiped before. Yeah, I mean historically, it's which, a which historic I, wiping. I have to say, right, because because Stephen Kenny had his press conference today. Because obviously, there's a game tomorrow against New Zealand, our, our friendly game against New Zealand. You are really confident, aren't you, Kim? <laughs> revenge, revenge for Stade de France. Yeah, well, you know, he said in that. He, he said today in the press conference, it wasn't like we lost 4-1 to Wales or got hammered in Cyprus or Macedonia the other night. It was a tight game in Holland that we lost 1-0 and deserved to lose. It was one of those games. I think a bit of perspective on that, you know? That's unbelievable. Well, it's really dumb, really. I think to, to say something like that, you know, they said, oh, you know, what, what do you think about that? Uh, they, they sort of asked more and he didn't want to say more. But like, okay, that's a drive-by on Completely. Martin O'Neill... Uh, Steve, Steve Staunton and Mick McCarthy, I yeah. guess. Well, he was doing drive-bys on these lads before he even took the job. But yeah. we, we took that as, we were all like, yeah, oh, do those is... drive-bys because yeah. you know how to do it mm. properly. Now you've shown that you don't and you've failed as Ireland manager and you're still talking about their results. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's incredible. It's not great. It's, really, because, uh, it's, it's incredibly bad for him. Because I, hon- I honestly feel that, like, at the moment, Stephen Kenny's best... Uh, Bet is just to try and, you know, to fold his towel with what dignity yeah. he can, Complete. let's say. Because, um, with what grace I can, that's mm. it. Uh, because, you know, you, you, you've got a record-breakingly bad campaign, like in terms of results. I'm not saying, oh, this is the worst I've ever seen, because, you know, there were some good things, maybe. In terms of results, this is the worst we've ever done, mm. right? So, sorry, with the exception of the 1962 World Cup qualifiers, we lost four out of four. Uh, that was Blame 100%. the selection committee for that, Ken. <laughs> Didn't even have a manager. Sack old fifty to them. <laughs> but 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 when you know when you're in that position, you've sort of got to you, you know you can't then go. Well, you lost four one to Wales. That was a bit of a shit show. Yeah. No, I mean it was, but like you know, here are you to talk. You know, <laughs> so it's just it's just crazy. Like I don't yeah. think you should do this kind it's of thing. Like the I think it erodes sympathy for who, him. Like, who, like who, honestly, who have sympathy. we beaten and who have yeah. we lost to? Yeah, we've had, we've had some bad. Bad days and nights under Stephen Kenny. Yeah. It, it, like he, it, he reminds me of the Black Knight in the Life of Bride at this stage. You know, tis yeah. but a flesh wound. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in in the the press conference on in Amsterdam, you know, um, he he ended up talking about the two meter rule, the COVID two meter rule. When was the oh, last time was, you heard? Honestly, because you said two meter rule, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, you now, know. Now, the, now I recall the COVID two meter rule. When was the last time you heard people talking about the two meter rule? I mean, okay, it depends what sections of the internet you frequent, I suppose. <laughs> There's still lots of people who are debates raging very into parts the of whole COVID scene. But, you know, Stephen Kenny, what was it he says? I mean, this is what he says. Uh, he, he used the phrase a couple of times, what's the alternative? I mean, we've already sort of talked about one. Of, he, he used it in two senses, one being, what's the alternative to this tactical approach? And I suppose we've kind of been talking about that a little bit. Well, Maybe there not, is a, but not completely either, in that, like, the idea that you go and press the ball, absolutely, but... It's, that's not just chasing after people in a certain area of the pitch. Mm. You know what I mean? Like coaching has uh, evolved far beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and so if you're if you're saying that you know Knight is try- is bending his run in a certain direction that Devry can figure out after eight minutes, then mm. you know that is a coaching thing as well. Like like the players have shown throughout their willingness, maybe not to learn from in game situations. But to run oh, like yeah, to hell, run. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and I, have, night, I would not fault him with that. And, and you know, he played, he played decently. Like, and he made some. He, he ta- blocked. He made tackles. A, yeah, he made one. A big one say goal saving tackle, but yeah. it was. It was. Shot I, I thought it was going to be a goal um, by Blind. And uh, Blind, I think Kevin Cooney was had sat, had forty two more caps than the entire Ireland starting eleven. What? <laughs> yeah, what? 42 more international caps than Ireland's whole team. I suppose it's it's down to thirty one now or thirty. Mm. Thir- 
of course, because he yeah he got his. Although cap. we had some subs as well. Yeah, he only gets one cap. We get sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, look. Uh, yeah. So so there's obviously a difference in, in experience, but you know what's what's the alternative? So he was talking about COVID. You were saying he was the, the two meter rule. Well, the two he uh, people. This was what he said. Uh, people go on about my record. To be honest with you, I completely don't think the first 10 games, the first part of it with COVID, I don't think that's fair at all. It's referred to as part of my record. I said that before. It wasn't well received. So many players, I've, I literally just wrote this down, so many players, different rules for in Ireland to the rest of Europe in relation to close contacts and the two meter rule. We just, one window where completely 12 players were missing with and not many of them had COVID. And that was without injuries. That was just from the COVID side of it. From then on, I feel... I feel like I'm trying to justify it, but from then on until tonight, since our first win, we've had 11 wins, 11 defeats, and six draws. So again, you're kind of like, if you disregard those 10 matches, you know, there was obviously no, there was zero wins, and there was a seven-match run without scoring a goal, which again, I think was a record for Ireland. I, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't think there was ever uh, seven matches without scoring a goal ever before, going back to the 19th century. Um, the thing is that that already had been disregarded. You know what I mean? In the sense that, I think he already kind of had banked the credit for that and spent it. You know, like he got he got a new contract or he got a contract extension he, despite that really terrible start because people made exactly the allowances for him that he's kind of looking yeah, for. retroactively looking here. for again. You and know, he said, oh, yeah. people should, you know, because he, he doesn't want, he's, he's already, I suppose, thinking about how it's going to look on Wikipedia or mm. the history books. You know, win percentage will be pretty low I haven't looked at the final thing but you know win and loss percentage will not be good but obviously if you take that first 10 games out then it's not as bad but you're like yeah well, I mean, still pretty bad if you took out all the defeats from any of the managers record they would look mm. you know yeah. they would look so it's kind of it's kind of crazy that's that that's that's ludicrous it's something he's alluded well, to I before like and it's also it, it's also him tr- justifying his job and what he's done that, that's one thing I think the, these drive-bys on results under previous managers is another Complete. though you don't have to try to demean other people's achievements I think it's for it. other people to say you know like in the sense that like uh, I also I mean and, and you know if you've been listening to this show that I was like fervently in favour of this whole idea it's for other people to say but if you're not going to say it then. <laughs> look I know you're sitting there going you have the blood of Irish football on your no, hands no I'm absolutely right not you have the Irish football's blood in your hands. No. Did he get to the Euros, Ken? <laughs> yeah. So for some, me, me and Grissom. So for someone, someone in my position, you know, I, I it's important for me that people don't forget just how bad the situation had got under previous managers. It got very bad uh, in terms of the overall hopelessness of the play, the kind of just grim situation, the the the, the absence even of. A, a, a mad Don Quixote style dream that we could all, you know, <laughs> that we could move forward. The absence even of a kind of a, a vision of that kind, even if it proved ultimately empty and delusional. <laughs> you know, it's important to have these types of stories that we can tell themselves. So for me, for someone like me, it's important to, yeah, look, things weren't great under the previous managers. Like Chris Sutton was like, did he get, did he get to the Euros? We did get to the Euros under Martin O'Neill. But things kind of went a bit pear-shaped from there. And we were in a pretty bad situation. We didn't score too many goals 2018-19. You know, what was the season when our our goal of the season was a penalty or something? We we <laughs> did have something like that. That was before Stephen Kenny, wasn't it? So... Uh, was it a Penenka? But it's no, not, it wasn't. But it's not for him to say after these two failed qualifying, two failed qualifying campaigns, two failed Nations League campaigns, and uh, and the, the the most Completely. recent one being a, a record, yeah. a record uh, equaling, record breaking. Bad bad morning for mm. Stephen Kenny. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's Ireland for today. Yeah, we'll have to talk about about us. I was about to say we'll have to talk about them again on Wednesday. It's still us, you know, we're all, we're still Irish. Yeah. Don't forget that. Yeah. Still our team. One said. Still so our team, one. We'll be talking about them again later in the week, I'm sure. Wind and rain. So what else is happening? Well, uh, we're obviously in the middle of internationals. Own, and, you know, aside from news like Gavi doing his cruise hit ligament, which is pretty grim. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of arguments over whether this might have something to do with the huge number of games that they've had him play at a very young age. Anyway, he did. He Actually, the footage of, him, of, of it happening, it's just one of those sort of, it's a non-contact cruciate ligament injury where it's it's to do with the way he kind of 
awkwardly comes down on the ground. I mean, it's not obviously there's contact between his foot and the ground, but he jars his knee in a weird way. And then seems to be reluctant to accept that he's got a bad knee injury and starts to kind of almost walk, walk kind of walk around gingerly, but almost testing his knee against the ground. And I'm like, no, don't stop. Just lie down. Just lie down on the ground and wait for them to come and see if your knee is okay. Stop jabbing your foot into the ground to test it. Don't. I mean, I suppose I, I'm looking at it for, with that hindsight knowing mm. that he's done his cruise Kevin duty. O'Sullivan emailed in on this in any other line of work there will be rules protecting young staff members from being overburdened at such an early age mm. and at risk of burnout as a result given Barcelona's travails in recent years Gabby has had to shoulder a far heavier or sorry has shouldered a far heavier share of responsibility than he might otherwise but it worries me that c- the club and Spain continue to put such weight on the shoulders of others like Lamina Yamal, do they have a plan for protecting these teenagers who will not only theoretically play for two more decades, but also have their entire adult lives ahead of them? No, they do not have a plan. Uh, at least Brighton for protecting taking, these teenagers. Yeah, at least Brighton seems to be taking better care of Evan Ferguson. Pops yeah. up later in the email. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's lots of. I mean, Bellingham is is always at the top of these charts. You know, young players who've played a crazy amount of minutes. Um, Saka, obviously, for Arsenal, has played a tremendous amount of minutes. And I suppose the, it is a fact that like um, some people are are better able to stand up to it than others. You know, in the sense that like some people are just athletically, you know, more robust than others. That's just a fact. Um, the thing is that a Gavi had always been thought of as one of those guys this is the thing you don't know how you, you might seem athletically robust at 18 but continue to get more football more minutes loaded into those legs yeah wouldn't be as robust when you're 21 or whatever you know yeah like Gabby. so hopefully he, he um well has a good recovery it's probably it's it's probably going to reel him out of the euros but i suppose at least he gets the summer off um the other thing on we're going to talk now um about everton and this was the big story over the weekend Everton getting a 10-point deduction for breaching their profit and sustainability rules in the Premier League. Um, now, this is a big, big deal, um, both because of how it affects Everton and, the, you know, they they may appeal the, the severity of the sentence and so on, how it affects their prospects of relegation in the... Uh, in this season in the Premier League. Whether or not they have have to pay compensation to other teams who've been relegated. Yeah, and obviously they're in a fairly, um, they're they're in a a risky situation at the moment because they've got this stadium half built now. You know, it's like a big commitment. You know, to go to the championship at this point would be bad, 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 bad news for a team in in Everton's uh, situation. Um, But also for what it's, sort of reveals about, oh, hang on, we haven't seen this side of the Premier League before. What's what's going on here? The Premier League suddenly comes raging down like Moses, you know, and smashes the, the golden calf of Everton's, uh, you know, questionable, questionable accounts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we, these accounts you don't, don't your fill anyone. account tables. Just the, the, uh, the Moses-like wrath of the Premier League's disciplinary side. Where has this, where have you been all our lives? You know, what, why have you, why have you come down so heavy in Everton? And is this a new departure for the Premier League? Is this, are all the financial misdemeanors of clubs that get investigated and, and, you know, proven to the satisfaction of commission also going to, going to attract these types of penalties? Well, I mean, there's a couple of those cases come down the line yeah. so if Everton are getting punished like this you do wonder what's going to happen in some of those other cases Well Ken I'll hold you there why don't we get into more of that with John Blaine now There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
people are tweeting me stuff like, oh my God. he's a World Cup winner. Like, how many World Cups have you won? Oh my God. I'm like, David Silva, World Cup winner. I was at that World Cup. I don't remember seeing much of David Silva. Oh I'm like, let's look up David Silva's World Cup record. Hmm, David Silva, hmm. Played like the first hour against Switzerland. Hmm, what did he do in this game? Hmm, didn't get on. What about the next game? Didn't get on. What about the second round? Didn't get on. What about the quarterfinal? Didn't get on. What about the semifinal? Oh, he didn't get on. What about the final? Can you believe it? He didn't get on. Now we're sitting on the sidelines. Sitting on, sitting on your arse in the sidelines. Watching a team win the World Cup. Makes you a World Cup winner. Then you're speaking to a five-time World Cup winner. So put some respect. Put some respect on my name. I've won five World Cups by David Silva's standards. Five. Humanity is the actual problem. If it wasn't for these insanely selfish, obscenely stupid creatures, this planet would actually be in balance. John Blaine is vice chairman of the Everton Shareholders Association and of Toffee TV and joins us today to talk about the 10 point deduction. John, thanks so much for chatting to us. Uh, oh, thank you for asking me. It's been an interesting uh, last few days and a weekend, hasn't it? I'm sure so, it has, yeah. Be- ha- happy to give you my view about what's, where we're at so far. Well, go on then. What is your view of where we're at? Uh, very high level stuff. I mean, I mean, you know, an independent commission was formed by the Premier League, and that was sort of announced back in uh, March time, and it's recently published its decision. Now, that that publication, which is a report written by uh, the chair of the commission, which is a uh, King's Council in in, in, the, in England, um, runs to some forty ish pages, right? And they said they used twenty eight thousand of the circa forty thousand documents that were involved in the case. But that makes it all very messy and complicated and, and, and those sorts of things. But fundamentally, the way it works in the Premier League is you're allowed to, to lose money, but not very much. And the Premier League allows you three years. And over any three-year period, you're allowed to lose up to £105 million. If you exceed, exceed that, you're in breach of the profitability and sustainability regulations and you are likely to be punished. And fundamentally, that's what's happened to Everton. Um, the Everton view is that we exceeded that threshold for the reporting period by just under £10 million. So we're not pleading innocence as a football club, we're pleading guilty per se. Uh, but the Premier League believe, and the judgment is that the losses were actually just under 20, £125 million. And, and, and the way it works and the way the KC has interpreted the Premier League rules and the like, is that the the, the bigger the breach, the bigger the sanction. And John, just to be clear, that- just to be clear on that, Everton are kind of Everton are saying that they exceeded the uh, spending limit by only about half of what the, the Premier League has decided they're guilty of, of exceeding it by? Yeah, like, they're about. It's, it's like, because, you know, it seems, it just doesn't seem like a gigantic amount of money in Premier League terms. Like, to, you know, we're talking about roughly £10 million pounds here. Um, and that's the yeah. difference between the, the Premier League saying, well, this is a 10-point deduction and what Everton, like, what Everton were sort of advancing as their final case. What, what did Everton expect? You know, if the Premier League reckon exceeding the limits by 19.5 million pounds is worth a 10-point deduction. What did Everton, do you think, expect to get by saying, well, actually, we've only exceeded this by 10 million pounds? The, the way it comes down on this, clearly, is it, it's a financial um, um, crime, if you will, and not a sporting fi- uh, you know, punishment in the sense that we haven't been, you know, been very, very naughty in a sporting sense. But the commission, led by the Premier League, because Premier League with a prosecutor, said they thought that, um, and and the the commission agrees with them, that a sporting punishment is necessary because any breach of the financial regulations must inherently give a sporting advantage. Um, Everton clearly had a, a number of mitigations that they came up with, notwithstanding we're building a huge, a huge brand spanking new stadium on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey and a war is going on and COVID happened during all this reporting period. 
but that was pretty much dismissed by the commission uh, and therefore they went with the 19.5 million over the limit uh, and said that that is a very serious offence and therefore had a very serious consequence in the sanction. Now the Premier League asked for a 12 point deduction and the commission have done 10. Everton said they didn't think a sporting deduction, i.e. punishment, i.e. points, was appropriate. And if it was, um, they thought it should be suspended or indeed we would have a transfer ban or something like that. So I suppose when they went into the commission, Everton did not expect any points whatsoever and they got 10. So do you feel that Everton have been uh, victimised here or, or do, do Everton fans feel as though this is like, hang on, we've, we've had been come down on here like a ton of bricks. Like what is, you know, where, 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 did, where, where did this come from? I mean, this is a, there's been clubs sort of losing money hand over fist in the Premier League for a long time. I mean, we can all think of uh, names of clubs. I'm not even talking about clubs who, that have dominated the Premier League with questions over their uh, financial Situation and and somehow Everton end up getting a ten point deduction. Is there a sense that hang on a second, what you know, why why is this happening to us? Um, I guess the first thing is uh, pretty much every Everton fan I would think who's been awake for the last six or seven years since Farhad Mashiri became the owner would recognise that the football club has not been run particularly well. In bad, in fact, you might say it's been run very badly, and we have spent excessively on players, and the commission says that. We've spent excessively on uh, transfer fees and on wages and those sorts of things. And we were living hand to mouth. And a couple of years ago, it was crystal clear that we were in danger of breaching these regulations. So the Premier League and Everton started working together. And indeed, for the last couple of years, last couple of seasons, and no surprise that they're the ones that we subsequently ended up very close to getting relegated. We've pretty much been on the naughty step with the Premier League overseeing what we spend, what we spend it on, how much we spend, why we spend it and so on. And then guiding us on what we needed to do to either avoid or mitigate the, um, you know, the, the losses, which included selling players, you know, in fire sale type situations. So Richarlison got sold, uh, you know, quite recently, as you might have known, for around 50, 60 million. Um, Anthony Gordon was sold earlier this year. And they're all about trying to, you know, clear the decks and and try and get, become honest, well, more more balanced, if you will, and and not losing so much money. Um, So the fans in the round, they know that we have been breaching the rules or or indeed uh, going over them or getting very close for, for, for many years. I think the shock is the size of the sanction. I don't think Everton will appeal the guilty verdict, if you will, but they will seek to appeal the points deduction because it's rather draconian to say the least. And as you say, dumped on like a pile of bricks springs to mind. I mean, you know, I, I take a keen interest in the financial matters and stuff. And when the news came out last week, I was genuinely in shock at the size of the sanction. And I think potentially the sanction on Everton has got as much to do with those other clubs who are coming down the track to to face um, probably a commission like this or something similar and some very high profile ones indeed, notably of course Manchester City and and Chelsea and and maybe it it seems clear that the, the, um, the Premier League wants to set a very high bar for punishment and indeed wants to seek to demonstrate to the UK government that despite all the evidence of the past, it is fit and proper to to regulate itself. Because you may or may not know, the British government have announced, and it was in the King's speech uh, in in the last week or so, that they will impose a independent regulator to manage football in in England. And uh, the Premier League don't want that. Yeah, part of the surprise seems to be, or shock, as you allude to it there, John, seems to be around the the way that Everton have actually dealt with it. They, they've done wrong. They have held their hands up to an extent. They've been working with the Premier League. The Premier League has, has had to even okay some of the transfers in, in latter years. As opposed to, for example, the approach at Manchester City, which is a lot more belligerent around what seem to be a lot more serious and certainly more numerous charges. Um, yeah, o- over 100, yes. Exactly. Indeed. So is, is that part of the shock that actually Everton felt, well, OK, we're, we, have to, we, we have done wrong, but we're playing ball here and yet we still get punished? I think so, yes. I think um, that, that, it, that is um, 
you know a, a bad taste in the mouth that this is a bit of uh, playing to the audience uh, and the audience isn't football fans it's politicians you know and that they are trying to position themselves um as i say to to down the track deal with a manchester city or indeed a chelsea i mean the chelsea one is crazy i mean the new owners of chelsea have pleaded guilty taking a fine off uefa and the premier league say they're still investigating so it, it is all a bit bit you know show trialy almost uh, and I, and i think that is part of the the shock and and, and the the huge disappointment and and the reason everton fans are sort of mobilizing themselves to to make their feelings known this weekend at the uh, at the home game against manchester united you did mention um that it was a, a financial crime as such. Uh, wasn't a victimless crime, though, maybe, uh, what Everton did. I mean, in, from the point of view of the teams who got relegated when Everton managed to stay up, um, you know, Burnley, Watford, Norwich um, went down the season that Everton, fin- Everton finished 16th. That was 21-22. Um, last season, Leicester, Leeds, and Southampton went down. Uh, do you foresee this becoming a problem for Everton? Because I can I can see that there are reports that these clubs are sort of aggrieved. I mean, you can see the logic. You know, they're saying, well, hang on. These guys spent money they weren't entitled to spend. You know, Everton had a player like um, Amadou Onana in the team last year. You know, a 30, a 30 million signing um, when arguably... You know they they weren't in a position to do that, but they they sort of did it anyway against the rules, and and we lost out. Do you think compensation claims from these clubs are are going to be um, are going to be a big problem? I, I think there's a couple of things here because of course the reporting period is is uh, it's three years, but because of the COVID situation, it was four seasons, right? And the, the most recent financial accounts of Everton, which are the, for the financial year that ended last uh, last summer, have not been published yet. So so clubs don't know whether we were breaking the rules in that year or not, you know. Um, but it could be a problem for Everton because uh, a separate side um, trial, if you want to call it that, took place back in March time with the same uh, KC where five football clubs, notably Leeds United, Nottingham Forest, Southampton, Leicester and Burnley, sought the right to seek uh, compensation for Everton should they be found guilty. And of course we have been found guilty and one can assume that those clubs will now follow through and seek financial recompense for what they perceive their loss to be. Now this is quite sensationalised by some journalists as being they're all going to sue Everton for £100 million each. Uh, Clearly if they did sue Everton for £100 million each and they won, then they probably wouldn't get any of the money because this football club would go into administration and would cease to be. Um, it's questionable whether all of them have got a claim. I mean, the safety in numbers, I suppose. And it's questionable about what the claim is actually for. All of which, clearly, they will have to uh, qualify and explain themselves. It's not for Everton to determine... Uh, as a football club, whether someone else has been wronged, it's for them to try and explain why they believe they have been wronged and then quantify it in a manner that can turn into, presumably, a, a financial uh, uh, payback for them. One of the um, findings that uh, leaped out to me, I have to say, was the um, was the statement that Everton, apparently, the season that Rafael Benitez took over, uh, that was twenty one, twenty two. Uh, so he, so Benitez was the manager at the start of the season. Obviously, as we as That's we right, recall, yeah. he didn't last. Uh, he didn't last very long. Um, but that they had budgeted their plan, their financial plan involved. Finishing. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, Go on. Go on. well, well, okay. Is this true? <laughs> I mean, they, 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 it's been it's been reported. I'm pretty. I, I think I read it in the actual report that they had basically budgeted on finishing sixth, which would have been a phenomenal performance. I mean, the previous season, the Everton had Carlo Ancelotti as the manager. Um, they were second in the league, I think, at Christmas. They ended well, up, right up to near the end of the season, we were in for the Champions League places. Yeah, yeah and they, they, end up, they end up finishing 10th. 
So, yeah. you know, which was, you know, what I'm saying is a sixth. I'm not sure when the last time they'd actually finished as high as sixth was, but to but to budget for a sixth place finish, well, it obviously, it ended up being that, uh, uh, you know, we, we can all remember the game against, was it Palace? The, yes, the, the home game went, went. Two nil down to win 3 2. two yeah. yeah. So that was like a last minute escape. They ended up finishing 16th. So miles below the, the projected. Uh, finished and obviously that makes a big difference to your prize money and and it does. Uh, I think it was about is it about twenty million? I mean that would that actually would have solved the problem. <laughs> I mean the problem was nineteen and a half million. If they had finished sixth, it, it all would have been fine. But to but the idea that 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 is that a finish that good was in their plan, that's crazy stuff. I agree. I agree. It is crazy, and and I haven't found an Evertonian yet who who thought that that season we were ever likely to finish sixth. I mean, it it almost um, smacks of reverse engineering, doesn't it? How much do we want to spend, or how much have we spent, and where do we need to finish in the league for it all to be okay? Yeah, which is a bit crazy to say the least. Um, absolutely, no, my friend, you're absolutely. That's just a nonsensical assumption. That was clearly put into some financial modelling by a CFO who's no longer here. So, I have to say, John, generally, um, your 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 take on this seems seems pretty measured and sort of accepting of of what the, um, the Premier League have done. I mean, I don't know if you if 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 you're looking at this primarily as a sort of detached analyst or like with your Everton hat on. I was born blue, my friend. I have no choice but to to, to be to taint everything with a with blue. Yeah, but uh, you, no, you don't not. sound I'm, I'm, you, you don't sound that ang- you don't sound that angry. Like there's a, there's an element here of well, you know, this is this is a fair cop. Uh, you, you you should have uh, been within hearing distance of me when I heard that it was ten points. You've calmed you've been... calmed down. You've, you've got <laughs> yes. you've got your head around it, and you're like, well, I suppose <laughs> when you, when you go through the reasons, this is fair I, enough. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I. You know, clearly, you know, I sort of heavily involved with Toffee TV, which is, you know, the number one independent uh, YouTube thing, uh, covering all stuff about everything and the like. And, um, you know, I said on that that um, a fair amount of what's going on here is being made up as it goes along. I mean, from the Premier League side, um, they, they started the process back in March, you know, when they referred Everton to an independent commission. Um, in August, they decided they probably needed a process for calculating what a points deduction would be, yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. So, so when they 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 sent Evan to a commission, if a points deduction, which is what they wanted, was going to come about, there was no mechanism for for determining how big or small such a points deduction should be. Um, then Richard Masters, the chief exec, in his uh, witness statement, tried to get the KC to do it the way he wanted it to happen, which was fundamentally a six point deduction for breaching the rules in the first place. And then an additional point for every five million that you're over the threshold. And the KC pushed back pretty hard and Richard Masters, the the Premier League chief exec changed his witness statements. And then lo and behold, the KC produces a result that comes to the same answer, which is 10 points. Six plus four for each five, yeah. so they're 19.5 million, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, again, that tends to, to lean towards what's going to happen to Chelsea, what's going to happen to Manchester City. And, of course, journalists have already started speculating that could see one or both of them falling out of the Premier League because if there's no upper limit, um, where, where does it stop? And yet, as far as I recall, at the moment, the upper limit is 12 points. So the message being sent house here is if you're going to breach the rules, breach them very, very big. Because if you breach by 20 million quid, you get 10 twelfths of the biggest punishment you can get, you know. So why not just go all in? And again, guys, very very sensibly observing that uh, if you just spend ridiculously crazy money, and suffer a 12-point deduction, but you went, you finish seven places higher up the league, then you're in credit, aren't you? You know, so so there's a lot to go on here. Uh, we don't know when the appeal will be heard. It's just been said it's before the end of the season. Um, the expectation again is that Everton will be able to argue down the the, uh, the points deduction, uh, maybe um, by having it reduced totally or some of it suspended 
Um, and of course, a suspended points deduction would hang over us for a period of time until, you know, we are clear, if you will, from from breaching that 105 million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I wonder though. Do you think, in any in any sense, I mean, I'm I'm sure that that that's among everyone fans is a sense of this is unfair. Why us and so on? But is this a healthy development for uh, football in a, in a wider sense of the Premier League in a wider sense? If they're actually prepared to confront some of the um, some of the wrongdoing that's been, you know, that that's been going on. I mean, these that we we have this bizarre situation in the Premier League where City have uh, have got all of these charges uh, now. Of course, they're charges rather than you know we we haven't seen uh, confirmation or or as in Everton's case, this Indeed. written yeah, written yeah. report. Yeah, we yeah. haven't seen that yet. But like. There's, it's a it's a pretty major set of charges, and this team has been dominating the league for a decade, you know, or more. <laughs> this is kind of crazy. No, I suppose I just sort of, I wa- I was like you, surprised when I saw they deducted Everton ten points because it's just so out of keeping with the Premier League's usual method, which is to just kind of pretend this stuff isn't really going on, or to go, oh yeah, you know, it's well, the Premier League. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Premier League, uh, to use your words, pretend it's not going on when it's one of the um, the six clubs who tried to break away to form a European Super League. So if it's your so-called big six, I'm not quite sure how Tottenham ever end up in that, but there you go. Um, but obviously the really big ones, Manchester United, Liverpool, who were the ringleaders around the ESL, and then the followers and Chelsea and Arsenal and City and Tottenham, you know, they almost sought to destroy the football pyramid in England. And they, they, they never got any punishment at all. You know, they, they, they made a voluntary and nominal amount, about three or four million pound each. And there's no evidence that they ever paid it. So, so you're right. Um, legislators in this game do have the ability to turn a blind eye, depending on not necessarily what the crime is, but who the criminal is, you know. And um, it, it just does have a taste of if this was one of those so-called big clubs who drive the worldwide, bro- worldwide broadcast revenues, would this have got this far? Well, we'll see. I mean, they're, they are, they've, they're obviously trying to take the take Manchester City on and we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it does create, like, a, this this punishment does create... It sets a tariff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if the Manchester City thing turns out to be, you know, Say they say they get a ten point deduction as well. <laughs> I think it, people will be like, "Hang on a second, this doesn't seem yeah, no, doesn't really seem proportionate." I heard this news, John, through somebody tweeting me the news when it happened a few days ago, and okay. a, a presumably an Everton fan who sent me the stuff and then said, "And we'll still stay up because I have." expressed my, my view this is a few weeks ago I just kind of thought geez, a 12 point they're gone this is when 12 points is being talked about I just thought they were absolutely gone at that yeah. point they've been clinging on you guys have been clinging on for the last couple of seasons and that just felt too too steep uh, punishment to recover from now the form has been good and I, I'm sure there's a lot of confidence not only that Everton are good enough to stay up regardless of this but also that the other teams around Everton in the Premier League are bad enough that you actually don't have to reach a particularly high total to stay up. Things are going well under Dyche. Are you confident that actually, regardless of this hanging over you for a lot of the season, that Everton can stay up even if we accept that the 10 points stays at 10 points? I think it's a damn good question. And obviously, it's really very subjective depending on how you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Now, curiously, we have a live show that we do on Toffee TV where we... we, we each have three questions, you know, which we can ask the panel, if you will, a bit like question time, I suppose, in some respect. And one of the questions that got asked last week at the last live program was, if if this was recorded on a Thursday, if Everton were to be deducted points, how many points would they need to be deducted for you to be sure that they would get relegated? And the lowest answer was 15. So I think genuinely, other than the very darkest of pessimists, most Everton fans in the moment believe we won't get relegated because of these 10 points. Um, We've got more than 10 points on uh, some of those clubs who've come up particularly who are going to really struggle to get much above, if at all, above 30 points. So so I personally do not expect us to get relegated if we, we end up sticking with 10 points. 
um, and and then we'll see what what the next season brings if we go back around this loop again or not. Yeah, as things stand, even uh, with the ten point deduction, a win would take potentially take Everton out of the relegation zone this weekend. It would indeed, uh, depending yeah, on what happens in other games. So listen, we'll see. Uh, thanks for explaining all that for us, John. Great to have you on. You're very welcome. Take care. You would expect to see in a porno. Show would have Temple Bar. You see them coming out of pubs, vomiting, mm. having sex on the side of the street. Like something you would expect to see in a porno. You know, is that the normal we want in this country? You know, we're supposed to be civilized. As far as I can see, this country is getting more barbaric. Well, I imagine it was like something you would expect to see in a porno movie. What would you see in a porno movie, Mary? Before we go today, a quick thank you to our World Service members who've come through once again for the bonus Gangs All Here end of year show. This one is on Friday, December 8th at our home from home, Liberty Hall. And it's another sellout, Murph, to go with our sold-out National Stadium show on Friday the 1st of December. So that is a very fun week coming up. It will be fun. first week of December, yeah. Uh, It's a full week of Premier League fixtures as well, I believe. Oh, it's it's all going going on. I mean, they're all going to be on... You mean Premier League fixtures on Premier Sports. On Premier Sports. In the week in between, yeah. I mean, if you can handle as much Owen McDevitt as Owen McDevitt's going to throw at you that week. Chapel. There might be a bit too much of me. Hats off to you all. worry about that. A reminder that World Service members always get first dibs on tickets to those live shows. Yet another perk of signing up on secondcaptains.com for five euro a month plus VAT to become a member. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank, thank you, you Owen, and thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. And a reminder the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Do you feel you are given the flexibility to decide how best to accomplish your goals? Do you want the options again? Yeah. Not at all. To some extent, always the same. Very much so. Don't, Don't know. know. If don't know wasn't there, what would you put? Well, the option. Not at all. To some extent, very much so. Don't know. Very much so. Do you remember what the question was? No. Okay. Do you. Let's. We're going to leave that there. How did It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 